I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. One of the best features of our Plant Strong Meal Planner is the ability to search recipes that allow you to use random ingredients from your pantry or your fridge. Our five-minute chana masala is a super popular recipe using canned beans, diced tomatoes, frozen brown rice, and spices. It's an easy solution to the what's for dinner dilemma that everybody has. Members can search our database of hundreds of whole food, plant-based, oil-free recipes and find delicious ways to use up what you have on hand while staying plant strong. And if you need help making ingredient substitutions, guess what? Our meal planner coaches are on hand seven days a week. Save 20 bucks off the annual plan and use the code HEALTHNOW. That's one word, HEALTHNOW. And visit plantstrong.com and click on the meal planner today. All right, today we are serving up on the Plant Strong Podcast a little dose of plant-based meat. Just like me, today's guest was inspired by his dad to change the world and have a lasting positive impact on health and the environment. I'm talking about Ethan Brown, the founder and CEO of Beyond Meat, a disruptive and innovative plant-based meat company. And I know you've seen and heard of them because they are ubiquitous these days. This interview was recorded pre-COVID-19. So while we don't specifically discuss it, this episode is very timely since, as you've, I'm sure, read, one of the areas most affected by this horrific disease is our food supply chain, specifically the animal food supply chain. The conditions are deplorable for both the animals and the humans at these meat processing plants, and the health of both is compromised daily. Ethan discusses in detail how his company is improving the efficiency, the safety, the health, and the environmental impact of his Beyond Meat production. And the benefits are huge. We know that the average consumer, even those who eat animal meat, are aware and very concerned about these health and social issues. As Ethan says, I believe there is a new dawn for American agriculture, and this conversation is our awakening hour. In fact, just last week, Jim Cramer, 
the host of Mad Money on CNBC, said that Beyond Meat is a small company, but so was Amazon, so was Facebook, and so was Google. And then he goes on to say, and I quote, it's all going Beyond Meat's way. And what is Beyond Meat doing? They're cutting prices. I think the pandemic is saying start eating plant-based. Kramer continues to go on to say that the rising demand for plant-based protein will not be a passing fad and that there's no hobby here. The hobby is going to end up being meat. Oh man, Jim, you are talking our language. I think the pandemic is saying start eating plant-based. Eating meat's going to become a hobby. Love it. Here's to having the heart of a hero and not being afraid to challenge the status quo. In fact, instead of being divisive, it's time we collectively come together and work to solve these problems on behalf of the animals, the longevity of our planet, and our own health. It is my mission, and it's the mission and driving force for my friend, Ethan Brown. All right, here we are, season two of the, the Plant Strong podcast. Um, I am here with Ethan Brown, the CEO of Beyond Meat. And I want you to know, and I'm at World Headquarters for Beyond Meat. Uh, where exactly are we? So we're in El Segundo, California. All right, El Segundo, like what, two miles from the airport? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the most, this was the easiest <laughs> drive I've ever made yeah. from the airport. And uh, season two, just so you know, the whole theme is heart of a hero and we're really i'm trying to identify um people that are changing the game and and that's who we're having and inviting on season two of of the podcast and you probably more than just about anybody i know are are changing the game in a multitude of ways and i and i want to get into that so you are truly a game changer now speaking of the game (laughs) game changers have you seen the movie i have and 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 before i even get into that i mean i just want to share on the podcast the impact you and your family have had on my own life and and just how much of a fan i am of yours um and uh it's incredibly sincere i I, you know i watched forks over knives you know more times than i can count uh shared it with more people than i can count uh and uh you know when we got a chance to connect uh, a few years back it was a a terrific thing for me i mean i've been a big fan of yours for a long time Uh so it's great to be here being interviewed by you that's kind of surreal (laughs) well i am i am i am flattered thank you and and so in the Game Changers, yeah. you, you saw it. Yeah. Did you like it? I love that movie. Yes. In fact, it, you're so intimately involved with it, but I'm having to stop myself from showing you a clip because it's, it's something <laughs> I do almost every time someone comes to my office interested in this subject. But of course, that would be lost on you because <laughs> yeah. you made it. Yeah. Set the set the record. Yeah. For most, uh, I think most downloaded, most downloads of a documentary ever, and they broke it in a little over a week. It's remarkable, and, and you know it resonates so strongly with me for so many of the reasons that it also resonates with you, of course. Um, but even as a someone who's building a business, it was really important for me to see this. Um, you know, you and I growing up, we were very much uh, exposed to the Got Milk campaign. I mean, that was something that was a big part of uh, culture, and, and maybe less so today. But you know, the use of athletes to promote a particular type of animal-based protein was something the California Milk Board did. You know very very well uh and and that was something that because of my own background and interest in the milk industry because what my family was doing uh, i paid a lot of attention to the, to the got milk campaign so it came time for me to start my own company i actually hired the original sponsor of that campaign a wow. guy named jeff manning on the california milk board he, he had left since then and, I was consulting. and you grew up on a dairy farm i should grew up in the city okay my dad's a professor and we, uh, he, he didn't like being in the city, and so he wanted to have a place to go recreate during okay. the, because he grew up in the country. And, uh, and so he got a farm uh, very early on in my childhood, and, and uh, he's kind of an entrepreneurial, so ultimately we had Holstein cattle there, uh, dairy. Yeah. But, um, but at any rate, so uh, to, to, I went back and, and, and found the person who, who wrote the original sort of mandate for the Got Milk campaign. It was someone named Jeff Manning on the California Milk Board, uh, and that led to that campaign with the milk mustache and, you know, Bo Jackson, Derek Jeter, et cetera. And so I asked him to come work with me. And so we worked together for a number of years <laughs> creating the Future of Protein campaign that we have here in the Go Beyond campaign. And uh, it's been been remarkable. A woman named Beth Moskowitz has brought in, you know, more athletes than I can count. Uh, really remarkable uh, 
well, this Kyrie Irving or, you know, DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, uh, Chris Paul, all of them, they are now getting behind the idea that a plant-based diet is the best for performance. And so Game Changers just nails that. Yeah. And uh, and there's a scene in there with the Tennessee Titan football players and Chastity Morgan yes. is, is, is cooking, I think, some burgers on a grill. Are those Beyond Meat burgers? They are, yes. Yeah, we, we love the, the Morgans and, and uh, all they're doing. And, and I think that's just a great story. And, and you're seeing that proliferate throughout the NFL and particularly the NBA where lightness and quickness is so important. Um, you're seeing so many NBA athletes turn to a plant-based diet for no other reason than to improve their performance. Yeah. Now, they also love the social aspect of it. They love the disruptive challenger, you know, let's let's not do things the way we used to do yeah. them. Let's bring something forward in this world that's a little better for, for their kids. Right. Let's yeah. challenge the status quo. Yeah. yeah. There's a big, big part of that. Yeah. Um, so you said something that just kind of, I think, to me, epitomizes kind of you and why you've been able to do what you've done with Beyond Meat since its inception in 2009. Mm -hmm. And that is, you went after the guy that basically created the Milk Mustache campaign, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. who, who better to go after? Yes. But, and you had like, what, no reservations about like reaching out to this guy and saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to do something big and... Yeah. I mean, you just go for go for gusto, huh? <laughs> well, it's it's so much. I mean, part of the reason that your story and your family's story, you know, is 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 so uh, you know important to me, and is that we all come from a particular background, you know. And and I grew up eating a ton of meat, you know. I grew up uh, drinking a lot of milk and having meat and everything else, and uh, I didn't think of myself as a bad person then, or someone who was yeah. making the wrong choices or something like that. And so I don't want to hold someone else in judgment today if they're making a decision that's different from one that I've, you know, decided to make, right? And so I try to pitch the the biggest tent possible uh, uh, because I think we're all, you know, at different points on our journey. And, um, you know, so whether it's, uh, you know, working with Tyson, which was not something that was, you know, that well received by a lot of people, but it was important to me, um, uh, or working with uh, the folks from the, the Got Milk campaign. Um, you know, the idea is how do you affect change as quick as you can versus, um you know, I think it's probably fun to wear a you know black turtleneck and hang out at a party and you know <laughs> throw stones at various people or industries, mm -hmm. but it's more effective to work with them for change, and that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, in doing in doing my my research for this podcast, I'm amazed how you 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 do everything you can to bring people together okay. and not be divisive. Yeah. And it's a I think it's a it's a beautiful model. And it's one that's worked really well for you. Thank you, thank you. It has. And if you look at the people that are buying our product, for example, so we have you know uh, data from from the nation's largest grocer. I think it's a it, well, it's, I know it's Kroger. Um, and ninety three percent of the uh, consumers that are putting uh, the Beyond Burger in their cart are also putting an animal protein in their cart, right? And so that's where change happens, you know. And uh, and so. Uh, you know, if, if you look at Tyson, for example, you know, Tyson touches, I think, 40% of the plates in the United States, right? So how do you get to a point where you can have the most impact the most quickly? Yeah. And, and that's through working in the mainstream. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, again, it's like, you know, it's like the milk mustache. You go, oh, let's let's see if we can do something with Tyson, yeah. right? I mean, you go right, like, for the jugular <laughs> in, a, in a positive way. Yeah. And, you know, what's so interesting to me is is just the, the history People talk about disruption a lot, and you know it's a word that's used up north in Silicon Valley. You know, overused for sure. And uh, you know, it's one thing to disrupt. Um, you know, for let's say the VHS to come along or Beta, which was then obviously lost. But you know, the motion picture industry or the mobile phone to disrupt the landline. It's a whole nother thing to think about displacing a vehicle that we've used since before we were humans, mm -hmm. before we became homo sapiens, we were consuming animal protein, right? So to say, you know what, you can still have a piece of meat and enjoy it and have a great meal, but it's just gonna come from plants, not from an animal. That's a much more difficult disruption to affect. And so you gotta be really smart about it. And we try to dress ourselves in the nomenclature and in the traditions of animal protein, including the use of male athletes to promote it. Mm -hmm. So, you used the word disrupted, yeah. And um, I want I want to read a, a little section sure. from the letter that you wrote to the Securities and Exchange Commission right before the the uh, the IPO okay. of of Beyond Meat, and that is we seek to become the first generation of humans to separate meat from animals, unlocking the next era in the American story of innovation, disruption, and growth. So you just gave me some examples of you know other 
disruptors in the past. Um, you say in this, separate meat from animals. I, I find that absolutely, like, that caught my, my eye immediately. And it, I think it begs the question, what is meat? Yeah. And so according to you, yeah. what is meat? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that. And that, that statement is one that I think about all the time. And I think about it in terms of my life's work and, and, and what I want to have accomplished uh, you know, uh, when it's all said and done. And if I can be part of a generation of people that, that actually does have the impact of separating meat from animals, I think that's something that is an achievement on an evolutionary scale in terms of what it could do for our species and for the rest of the species we share this earth with. And I mean, I think most people are thinking, oh, I mean, how, how can you create meat yeah, yeah. without having an animal yeah. as part of the equation? So this is fascinating. So I'm reading this book, which I'm only halfway through, but it's called What is Life? And and uh, I'm reading it for a number of reasons, but it's by Margolis and Sagan. And, uh, and it, it really tries to um, find that point in time when life first began on Earth, right? And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating. And, and what you learn from reading texts like this is that you know, we're all coming from the same things. We're all coming from the same basic elements, right? And they just ladder up throughout the ecosystem and into our bodies and, and, and who we are and the material we're made from. But there's, there's no real separation. We're all coming from the same sort of soup, right? Mm. And, and so if you think about meat, you can, and I think, and to the detriment of ourselves and the earth, insist that it comes from an animal. You can say meat okay, meat has to come from a chicken, cow, pig, or pick your favorite livestock. Uh, or you can instead try to define meat by its composition, and that's what we do at Beyond Meat. We, so we look at the composition of meat, and we've studied this probably more than anyone in the world in terms of trying to understand what makes meat meat. And it really boils down to five things at a high level. It's amino acids. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people uh-huh. don't know what amino acids are. Sure. So sure. What, what, when you say amino acids, what is that? Sure. It's it's It's... So it's an assembly of amino acids that, that create protein, right? And so you want to have a certain level of amino acid in your diet, uh, and and the and a, a protein score is um, is limited by the most efficient amino acid in that particular batch, right? So the more kind of high higher levels of, of amino acid you can get, the higher protein score you get. And right. so so it's it's a, it's so I could say it differently. I could say meat is essentially protein. It's lipids or fat, and then it's <clears throat> Hold on. No. Yeah. Okay. So and lipids. Yep. Yep. Now, I know you've, but I'm going to stop yeah, you sure, because sure, I want sure, everybody to understand. Sure, sure, sure. All right? Because sure, sure. you've done this a million times, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But so amino acids basically are, you know, kind of the building blocks of the proteins. Yep. Yep. Uh, nine are considered like essential, essential. right? Yep. We can't so make, meaning we can't manufacture yep. Lipids, what are lipids? Yeah, so basically fats, right? Okay. And so, and, and you know, we've we've done a lot to separate out fats and, and make and oils and things like that, but they also are inherent in plants, right? And so that's what's so fascinating about this work is that, Nothing that I'm about to describe, which makes the composition of meat, is exclusive to the animal, hmm. right? And think about what the animal's doing. They're consuming vegetation and they're drinking water. They're using their biology, their digestive tract, their skeletal muscular system to create muscle, which we then harvest as meat, right? What in, we, in that same letter, you refer to them as a bioreactor. They really are, yeah. I mean, that, that's not how they would think of themselves, for sure, <laughs> right. their own lives and ends and goals and things like that. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, for, for the purpose of agriculture, they are a bioreactor. They're a conversion mechanism of, of plant material and water into something we call meat, right? right. And so, um, so you take a step back and you think about, okay, what is that core composition? And it's that protein, then it's that, that fat, yep. right? And then it's <clears throat> essentially trace minerals, and it trace vitamins, and then it's predominantly water, just like our bodies. And this is a, an area which I have just learned a tremendous amount. Uh, I, I, you know, I had the sense when I was a kid, like many people, that you know we're all related to each other in terms of animals and people. It all made sense. You know that there, we came from the same place. But it wasn't until I really read Darwin and began to understand that hmm. you know we all evolved. We didn't we didn't descend from the heavens onto earth, right? We we, we ascended from mud. And when you go through that ascension, you share so many common traits with the rest of the species on Earth. And that's why I'm so troubled by the factory farm systems we have, mm-hmm. because those are our distant relatives. I mean, that like biologically, that's the case. You know, we send 80% of our DNA is the same as, as uh, genetic material is in cows. It's the same as in humans. Mm-hmm. There's a big connection, and that's why we feel a sense of connection to animals in a way that we do. But I think our theology and our... our um, just the many different you know frameworks we use to differentiate animals from humans have, have that point has been lost in, in, mm-hmm. in that and that's unfortunate 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, I digress. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, it, it, it's so true. I mean, I look at my kids, yeah. and they have no earthly understanding why humans eat yeah. these animals that, uh, as children, we're reading about how much we love them, yeah. and, you know, Charlotte's Web, yeah. and the Big Red Barn, and yeah. now we're basically taking them apart and eating them. So I can tell you, I use that Charlotte's <laughs> Web all the time, and I, I love that book, and I, I have a pig named Wilbur. Uh, uh, but um, and I, I did that because I wanted my own children to have the same experience I had, which was to go to this farm all the time and to to, to, to have to ask those questions. And I've used that text, that, that book, um, which is so great uh, by E.B. White, that to say I never had anyone with my dad. My dad never said to me, "Son, this is the way it is." Yeah. You know, he he just didn't ever say that to me. He said, "Well, you sort of have to figure it out yourself." But but the animals in the barn are they different from the animals in the house? So I struggled with that as a kid, right? And I think today most kids don't have exposure to how their food is made, so they don't mm-hmm. ask those questions, right? But a generation is coming up that because of videos and documentaries, forks over knives being the, the one that I always think of. Uh, kids are now being exposed to things they weren't in the past, and it's making them you know, uh, more capable of uh, making informed decisions around the plate. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just struck right now in, in listening to you talk. It sounds like you're a voracious reader. Is I that, do is, like to read is, a lot. Is that lot. correct? Yeah. Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's very cool. Well, it's, and that's <laughs> one of the things that we were just talking about earlier this morning. I'm worried about the generation coming up. While they are very attuned to, we've talked about this, you and I speak in some of the same places. You go to university, and the kids there are super excited about this idea that you don't need an animal to produce meat. Like, they really get excited. I always ask them, why are you so excited about this? Well, I saw a documentary. I saw Forks and I saw What the Health. Except now, soon it'll be game changers. But they're not mentioning, I read Upton Sinclair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not mentioning Francis LePay. Like, so it's a different generation. we got to be careful that we don't lose the written word. Mm-hmm. You, um, in, in that same letter to the SEC, you also mentioned how... Um, the greatest bottleneck, right, right, in in agriculture is the animal. Yeah. And yeah. and another thing that I read, um, this this study, this person says, I believe there is a new. No, that's you actually right yeah. there. It's it's the industrial livestock industry is one of the oldest, largest, and most inefficient food yeah. production systems yeah. in the world. Yeah. And that, and your statement about it being the bottleneck absolutely It's remarkable, that. and this is why I feel so passionate about the economic opportunity for the farmer. And, and, and really, I'm going up to Alberta uh, soon to, to meet with uh, members of the, the Canadian Cattlemen's Association because I think this whole thing that the media is trying to do, casting us versus them, is just it's a red herring. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity to bring, as I mentioned in that letter, uh, innovation to agriculture that is unprecedented, I think. I, mean, I think if you look at the big step forward in American agriculture, there's been several, but one of them was the, the initial one was the advent of the combine and the mechanization of the combine and, and, and the, just the yields that increased from the fields. And then you have other things that we layered in, fertilizers, et cetera. So we made the fields extremely efficient. You know, the, the output, the yield per field uh, per acre uh, over the last hundred years has just been mind boggling, right? Now, what do we do with all that yield? We run it through what? An animal. Has the animal evolved that much? Sure. We've made the animal bigger, right? Uh, we've grown them faster. But uh, every time, and, I, and I'm sympathetic to this because if you put a group of engineers together and you say, how do you make this system as efficient as you can? One of the things you're going to look at is the size of the animal. They can say, well, let's just make the animal bigger. Let's have them expend less energy, things like that. But the consumer pushes back. The consumer's like, you know, we don't want gestation crates. We don't want field crates. We don't want battery-caged hens, right? So there's a limit to the efficiency that the consumer is willing to accept. And I think we're at the peak efficiency of the animal. And now it's un- it's time to essentially unpack all that and capture all the efficiency we've gotten at the field level and put it directly on the plate. That's what we do. We say the fields have become really efficient. Let's skip that process of running it through an animal. Let's run it through heating, cooling, and pressure, which, by the way, is how we make our products, yeah. and put it to the center of the plate. You may have seen Wild Earth Dog Food on Shark Tank, where the founder, Ryan, shared how he felt there was a better way to feed our pets, to help the environment, and to save the lives of needlessly slaughtered animals. I am thrilled that we partnered with Wild Earth because they are in complete alignment with our values and are changing the way people think about nutrition for their pets. If you love your dog as much as I love our dog, Jade, and you want to try Wild Earth, please visit wildearth.com or amazon.com 
and use the code PLANSTRONG for 40% off your first order. I've got a lot of questions <laughs> about about you know your 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 products and um, you know where you are with them right now. But before before I go there, I just because I think people will be fascinated. So, why did you start Beyond Meat, and what was your background before Beyond Meat? Sure, sure. So, um, we talked a little bit about uh, my childhood and and the, just that exposure to agriculture and and. Um, you know, not not being told to think one way or the other about it. My dad is a philosopher, and so that was sort of not mm. not what he would do. Um, and uh, and so I, I sort of came out of my childhood asking these questions, but didn't do anything about them. I made some decisions about my own diet, became vegetarian, things like that, and then later vegan. But I didn't um, you know think about a career in this space. I, I instead <clears throat> um, I remember getting out of school and out of college and, and talking to my dad about what. You know, I should be doing my career, and he asked a really interesting question. He asked me, "What do you view as the greatest problem in the world?" And I thought about it, and uh, you know, came back and what said, "What a question <laughs> for your father to ask!" Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was really great. I can I can remember it very clearly. And uh, and I said, "Well, I think it's climate because if we don't have a stable climate, the rest doesn't matter." You know, I, I can do great missionary work, but if the you know. So you said the climate, and how long ago was that? This was in the mid '90s. Mid '90s, yeah, you were yeah. you were thinking about the climate. Yeah, yeah, I really was. I really was. It was a it start, stuff. It started to 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 kind of percolate. Mm. Um, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, Gore was starting to, to yeah, yeah, yeah. sound sound make some noise there, and um, and so uh, to to me, I felt that you know, a career that that focused on technology that would allow for climate change. Um, solutions was a was an important one and so i went in sort of blindly like you know just sort of followed the herd in the sense okay well if you want to do something there go into alternative energy right so you know solar wind etc so i ultimately ended up um working uh uh as a joined as a um, kind of entry-level position at a company called ballard power systems and was just very passionate and successful there i became reported up to the ceo eventually and and uh, and enjoyed that a lot. It was a super uh, uh, rewarding career. Um, and uh, we were owned at one point by Ford and uh, Daimler Chrysler at the time, and, uh, and publicly traded. It was an exciting time. But I didn't. It wasn't scratching any itch that I had, and that itch was really around. I began to understand that livestock actually played a larger role than automotive in in greenhouse gas emissions. And then I had this love for the outdoors and love for animals. And it wasn't until later that I really began to understand the health benefits too. Right. right. And so all of a sudden, these things came to me where I could focus on one thing, and it was that you know protein at the center of the plate. And I'd never seen anything like this in my career ever, where by focusing on one thing, you could simultaneously impact four really important global problems. So human health, the work that you guys made so clear in Forks Over Knives and other other uh, work, yeah. um, you know, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, the relationship between that and animal protein consumption. And then you look at things like you know, climate, where it's, again, that big driver I just talked about. And you look at natural resources, land, energy, water, and ultimately animal welfare. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, if I can just figure out a way to build a piece of meat without using an animal, I could affect all four of those things. And then you actually start to study the composition of meat and say, wait a minute. This isn't just exclusive to the animal. It's outside the animal as well. The animal is essentially an organizing mechanism for us. But why keep using that? We, we have evolved to, you know— People talk about the horse-drawn carriage, the automobile. There's so many examples where we have basically said, let's take something good and make it better. We don't Mm -hmm. have to demonize meat. Mm -hmm. Let's just make it better, right? And that's what we're about here. Are you you pleased with where you are right now? (laughs) Did you ever dream that you would be where you are right now when you started this in 2009? I don't know that I had this outcome in mind, um, and I think we're really blessed and fortunate that the consumers move so quickly. Like that that surprised me, right? That, That for the longest time, and you've experienced this in your own work, you know, you're pushing and pushing and convincing and, you know, yeah. just it's constantly, you know, uh, uh, trying to run uphill. And then all of a sudden the dam broke and people said, this is something we want. And I think what we're tapping into at Beyond Meat is something where there's a, <clears throat> you know, people love, I love eating meat. Uh, I don't anymore. Obviously, I don't eat animal meat and I haven't for a long time. But um, I know there's some issues that surround it, whether the health or environment, animal welfare, et cetera. So I'm sort of in a, if I'm a normal consumer, an average consumer, I, I want to keep eating meat, but I'm beginning to become really aware of the social issues around it, right? And the health issues around it. And so Beyond Meat provides a way out, 
right? You can sort of continue to consume the dishes you love, right? But you don't have to use an animal to do that. And that sort of frees people, I think, to, 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 to make uh, better decisions. And that excites them. And mm-hmm. so we benefited from the consumer, you know, your work and, and, and the work of so many different universities and, and, and institutions talking about the impact of, of, of animal protein and, and health uh, are driving the consumer in this direction. And they're looking for a solution, and we're providing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. No, you, you, here's a quote of yours. I believe... There is a new dawn for American agriculture, and this conversation is our awakening hour. I mean, to me, what you have done with Beyond Meat in catapulting these conversations, right? Um, And, I mean, the fact that this was probably the most talked about IPO in years, right? I mean, it is spectacular. We got the game changers coming out, right? So we, we got a lot of, we have a confluence of a lot of factors hitting at once. It's, it's beautiful. Yep. How big is the Beyond Meat team at this point? How many employees? We're about 400 have? folks. And, and you know, uh, people ask, we asked a question the other day, you know, do you want to keep collaborating with the Tysons and you mm-hmm. know, JBSs of the world and things like that? And I think that period for us is over. You know, I think, I think uh, the more appropriately we want to be them. Right. You know, we, we want to be a global uh, protein right. company. So you're going to see us be very aggressive in Asia. Very aggressive in the EU, and 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 of course, you know the partnerships we have today. I can scarcely believe. Like if you look at, I, really, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't. Like who, who are some of those partnerships? Like like so, we're testing with McDonald's. You know, yeah. we just rolled out nationally with Duncan. Um, you know, you look at KFC. Is Duncan the Tom Hortons in a, in America, basically? Yeah, um, they would they would they would like be upset about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yes, yeah. You know, I mean, and I love Duncan. I mean, it's just it's just a great iconic brand. You yeah. know, I love going there with my family and stuff, and and. Uh, and so to, 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 to be able to go there and get a Beyond Breakfast Sausage, which, you know, is probably our, in my view, our best product. Mm. It, cer- it certainly, mm. it kills it on health. I mean, it's just amazing. It has, you know, like more protein, more iron. It has, uh, you know, less sodium, uh, uh, less saturated fat, and less total fat than pork. Yeah. Uh, but it's cool, too. It, it, it has protein from sunflower seeds, from mung bean, brown rice. And pea protein. So, as we talked about earlier, when you combine all those amino yeah. acids, you get a really high protein score. And so, I just love. Well, what that I, you know, so I want to disrupt. I mean, yeah. uh, um, just make a statement because what, what you just said there has got mung bean, mung bean protein. It's got you know whatever right, other right, proteins you said. Get, yeah, so the fact is that you can you can use different plant proteins to create a different product. Yeah. Is is super super cool. It's not just always pea protein. See, so that's that's where I am on this. So so I, I really feel strongly about this. And in this, so we're in the Manhattan Beach project, by the way, which is this the center here that we, we use for research, and we use that for that, that name because we're near Manhattan Beach. But more importantly, because of the Second World War and the idea, you bring together the best scientists, best engineers, best managers, give them a clear goal, and kind of get out of their way. Yep. Right? But infuse the place with urgency. Everything about this place is urgent, right? And and uh, and I think that's. We have a global crisis, right? So we have to solve it, right? And so, so we got to be urgent. But um, <clears throat> it's pea protein is a protein. There's nothing particularly special about peas, right? It, it's here because it's the, the 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 isolated protein and the concentrated protein is here because of the starch industry. Largely, they needed yeah. to get starch from peas for, for for glass noodles in Asia. Twenty years ago, someone said, "Let's start making the, the protein available in the market." I started using it back in 2010 um, and playing around with it. And I, you know, it's funny—I I couldn't get the texture right on it, so I, I, for a while, I just ate it as cereal. <laughs> I would put like soy milk and then peas, and it was great. Actually, it's yeah. like these sort of dried. But anyway, so uh, but once you start to think about the plant kingdom and, and, and stop thinking about okay, what plants do I grow to run through animals to to build meat? Instead, what plants do I grow to build meat directly from? Then all of a sudden, it's thousands of crops, yeah. you know, and you can pull protein. I mean, like, I, I really dream of the day when you can go to a, a supermarket and go to the meat aisle and you can get lentil-based um, sausage. You can get lupin-based sausage. Right. And it's different varieties. And I can tell you the farmer that grew them. We can yeah. tell that story. And, yeah. You know. No, it's fascinating. And you think right now we're limited by... It drives me crazy. Beef, chicken, pork, and what, maybe two or three others, yeah, right? Yeah. But you, what you're talking about right now, yeah. it's it's infinite. Yeah, and I've been begging our supply chain, and this is where I just get frustrated, to, to diversify, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we'll look at it, but it's reactive. They're mm-hmm. looking backwards instead of forwards, and so there are some good companies, chickpea separation, et cetera, but we should be separating protein from hundreds of crops and, yep. and, yep. and providing it. When we're selling in China, I'd be really frustrated if we're selling, you know, North American peas there versus something that's been grown there, right? Right. You know, uh, we, we need to, to make sure that we're 
Yeah, of course. How many how many different products do you have right now? So we've got we, we always iterate around three um, core categories, and they're and they're beef, pork, and poultry, and it's a, that's a one point four trillion dollar industry if you add those together globally. And so we focus the most, um, and this is really your dad's work. And we focus the most on red meat because of the clear discussions there around around red meat and and, and things like heart disease, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and that's where the consumer is pulling away most dramatically in everything we see. And then you look at pro- so we have the burger, we have the Beyond Burger, and then we have the Beyond uh, uh, Beef, uh, which is a one pound ground. Um, and then you look at pork and that's where consumers are starting to pull away from processed meat right and so we have the beyond sausage we just launched this beyond uh breakfast sausage with duncan that'll be coming to retail next year um and then uh and then in poultry um we we, we did the, the the work with kfc and you'll see some stuff from us uh, yeah. later on that yeah. i mean when i when i saw you at the expo west just yeah. a, a couple months ago yeah. literally i just wanted a sample of yeah. i think it was the beyond meat sausage yeah it took me 15 minutes <laughs> to get a sample because yeah. the line was so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that yeah. just... That's so it, exciting. Yeah. yeah, it speaks volumes. And he, and here, but here's where the movement has come. Like, this is incredible to me. So, uh, you know, we, we every year, like five or six years ago, we would do, um, we would, at, at Expo West, we would take the, um, the logo and the signage and everything of a popular fast food restaurant, and we would turn it slightly. But it was very clear, like McDonald's, we turned it on its side and made yeah. it into a B, but everything else looked like McDonald's. And we get a cease and desist letter from them. <laughs> you know, and they, they'd send it to us on Saturday, but you know how the show works, right? It's like, it's yeah. already over on Sunday. So we're like, sure, we'll comply. And uh, we did that with, you know, Taco Bell and many others, in and out et cetera. And to just, to go from that sort of challenger position to one now where you're working and partnering with them every day with their supply chains, with yeah. them asking the right questions, with them looking to serve this consumer, it's a blessing I can't even describe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so since you started this in 2009, how many iterations, of, let's just say, of the burger yeah. would you say you've gone through between then and now in 2019? Oh, thousands. Thousands. Yeah. yeah, and we'll continue to do that. We will continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, we have tastings almost every day here. I know I have one later today. Um, and we're brutal. You know, it, you have to be uh, really honest about the quality of your products. And I'll be honest, you know, in public, like our products aren't there yet. They're not indistinguishable. Now, if you do, I had a bolognese. Indistinguishable from what? Animal protein. Yeah. yeah. So is your goal yeah. to have it be that Beyond Meat is basically, you can't tell the difference between a beef burger and a Beyond Meat it, burger? It, it is my goal, and here's why. Yeah. I, I just know that humans, you know, the vast majority, particularly in the West and, and emerging economies now as they gain influence, you know, love the taste of animal protein and the satiating experience of it. And so... I'd rather go after a target that I fully understand than one that I have to guess at. Yeah. And so my mother is always after me. She says, why are you doing Why don't you just create a great center of the protein, uh, center of the plate protein that people love and don't identify with any particular type of animal protein. I think we have to earn the right to get there. So I think someday we will do that. But first let's show that this statement is true that you can build a piece of meat directly from plants. I want to prove that out and then be able to have some freedom <laughs> to operate. <laughs> That's you know You know what's so interesting about that is, so I personally... You know, I've been eating what I call plant strong yeah. now for for thirty two years, yeah, love it. Yeah. and and, and, the, and, and you and, look like you've been doing it. And, it's great, yeah. and the and the thought of uh, of eating something that is that familiar yeah. with a piece of meat yeah. is it, it's too much for yes, me. 100%. But what you said just earlier about how ninety three percent of Americans yeah. basically grocery carts, yeah. uh, you know, they're they're eating both, right? Yes. Yes. So I mean, that's it. it, it, it you're you're obviously you know doing the right thing. Well, it's funny. My daughter says the same thing you said. There's some of our products which she doesn't like to eat because they are too meat-like for her, yeah. right? Um, but I, you know, I think it's it's really that it's that vast vast majority of the consumers that, that still want that taste. Yeah. yeah. Um, very briefly, um, what is the envir- difference in the environmental impact mm-hmm. between a regular burger and the Beyond Meat burger. And I know you guys yeah. commissioned a study yeah. at the University of Michigan. And we did that because there's a lot of noise. There's, you go to Expo West and there's a ton of just crazy claims being made. You know? So we wanted to really be uh, academic about it and and uh, and have facts at our side. And so um, we had the University of Michigan uh, do a, a peer-reviewed study for us. It was someone who had done a lot of work with the livestock industry, so not necessarily sympathetic to, to our position, but not anti-sympathetic either. Um, and so, uh, um, they did a very exhaustive analysis of our whole supply chain. So we use 93% less land, right? We use 99% less water. 
we have 90% uh, fewer emissions and we use half the energy. So that land, that's where I really focus on in terms of just helping the farmer understand this. You know, I, we started the business back in Appalachia. We started in, in uh, right outside our farm in Maryland. And, uh, and that community was being devastated and still is up and down that, whether it's Ohio, Maryland, Pennsylvania, by opiates, by, by a tr- lack of economic development in the rural mm-hmm. community. And, you know, it's gotten so bad where it's like people just putting in prisons just to create jobs, right? And so um, my belief is that if we can go back and make the case to the farmer that if they're growing 100, if they have 100 acres and they're currently uh, growing corn, soy, and wheat on that for animal feed, think about the efficiency. If we, we are using 93% less land, now they can grow the same amount of burgers in seven acres. They used to grow in 100, Right. Let's talk to them about that and what they do with that right, land right. that's been freed up. Nice. Yeah, they're finding resources this way, right? Yeah. And so let's bring economic development back to the farmer. <clears throat> I mean, right there, that's a slam dunk. It's great, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, and it's also there's something about what I love is the is seeing the younger farmers get behind this. Like, like it's just to see the generational change. Yeah. You know, it's this is not about making tough choices where. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to help your family grow. Yeah. yeah. So, what's been the reaction when you've gone around and you've talked to some of these farmers and you right. and and, and uh, maybe they're they're hearing this for, maybe I don't know first time. I mean, right. are they like receptive to it? Some are. It really depends. Again, the younger ones are definitely receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it's still early and there's a lot of yeah. noise in the system. Yeah. We got to get the noise out and get some data together. So, yeah. Okay. I've heard you say that. You know, the in order for I think Beyond Meat to be successful, you got to nail it in three yes. three different categories. Very important, yeah. So, and I want to talk just about sure. each one of these. Sure. So the first is taste and sensory. Yeah. Second is nutrition, yeah. and the third is price. Yeah. So let, let's start with 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 taste and sensory. I feel like you've kind of talked about that. You're yeah. you're in relentless pursuit of something that is just like meats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how long do you think you're th- till you're there? Yeah, I'd say it depends on the product, but but with yeah. something like the burger or ground beef, I'd say we're within a few years of that of, of having something that's, that's indistinguishable. But here's the thing that, that that no. So what are you not happy with? Oh man, uh, there's I mean, a, couple, a couple things that are really hard to do. So one is the the flavor of meat comes from literally almost I think three thousand different molecules has been identified by our team and and by others. And so you have that, flavor or aroma or both? both? Both, yeah. So the aroma and the taste come <clears> from this, this, this basically this combination of molecules and, and compounds that, that release into under heat and things like that. And so, you know, no, I, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so you say that, and I'm thinking, okay, so uh, bacon is cooking, and yeah. you know it's bacon, right? Yeah. Uh, you've yeah. got a pork roast, and then yeah. you know it's pork roast. Yeah. You've got uh, a turkey for Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know it's a turkey. So yeah. you're right. Every one gives off a, a very yeah. distinct odor, doesn't it? it, it it's fascinating. Yeah. And so so our game is to uh, identify those molecules. When we have something here, we do that in a mass spectrometer. We isolate them in gas, and you can understand the characteristics, and then match them with molecules and plants. It's it's fun. Like, yeah. But it's also like one of those combination games where like so many different iterations, it's hard to find the exact one. And so, <clears throat> so that takes a lot of time and trial and error, and they sort of you can you can get it almost right, but you know you're not there yet, and then mm-hmm. you can sway farther away as you try to get closer, and then you know bring it back. And so there's there's a lot. Of, of more effort required there, but the one that I find the hardest is the color transition, and and so color transition getting, and this is a difference between us and some other companies is that we don't allow any genetic modification. There's no GMOs here yep. at all, right? And and why we do that is really out of I think you know it's respect for the consumer in the sense that so my kids eat this every day or or, or very frequently, and I want American families and, and globally families to have it every day. I don't want to burden them with that sense of, I don't know exactly what this is. It's never been in the food supply before. Um, and have, you know, 10 years from now, some sort of story come out that, Hey, it actually turned out it's not good for you. Right. So just avoid that. Yeah. We just avoid it. And don't like, it's already complicated enough to explain to someone, okay, you know, meat comes primarily, you know, or historically rather from an animal, but we can actually build it right from plants. That's a message that we want to focus on. Not, you know, and we've used all this, you know, science. And so they could, I'm pointing back to our labs here. They could do it much more quickly 
uh, if I allowed genetic modification, but I think that's not a good decision mm. for our brand. And so finding things in nature that go from red to black and gray under a four-minute period each side of being cooked is really hard. Mm. There's some obvious ones like take a bite of an apple, you set the apple on the table, yeah. it oxidizes, it starts to brown. Okay, so we pull that out of the apple, right? Um, you know, pomegranate has some elements to it. Uh, certain teas have some element to it. But you got to find that right combination and then get it to behave in the right way over a very, very strict um, you know, spectrum. So that's hard. So let me say that So my, my son, yeah. Cole, 12, yeah. had a bunch of his buddies over for his, his birthday. Yeah. And he wanted to have the Beyond Meat Burgers oh, cool. for all of his buddies. Okay. And so I made them on the grill. Right. Right. And I was absolutely blown away by how it performed right. like a burger, right. Right? dripping through the grill, yeah. Yeah. hits, it yeah. you know, kind of blows yeah. up. Um, I'll tell you, the thing that was most, uh, my biggest problem was the smell. Yeah. For some reason, it, yeah. it, 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 it's got a smell that is, I find, to be yeah. a little off-putting. Yeah. Now, do you know which version you were using? Was it the older version? When, when was this? Uh, <clears throat> this was probably six, six to eight months ago. That's the older version. So the aroma was one of the things we were really working on. Yeah. Yeah. So what was interesting was that. To get the taste that we had, that aroma was kind of a burden we had to deal with. The new one doesn't have that. Wow. And so that's what's so neat about this whole development mm-hmm. process is, is, and we hear that. We hear that. We, we, yeah. we would hear that from consumers. Like there's something about the aroma that they didn't like. Yeah. So, but we couldn't just take it out because it would impact the flavor. Yeah. So, but now we were able to do that. And so uh, we just keep making it better. I mean, imagine when, you, yeah, you got the aroma right. I mean, yeah. everything else and it yeah. performs. I mean, yeah. wow. But so you get the nutrition. The second piece was yep. nutrition, right? And so- we need to deliver the benefits of animal protein, and, and again, you guys have been brilliant on this. That you know, there's, it's not a good delivery mechanism for protein, right? That's the main point, right? Because it comes with the heme iron and all the other things that you yep. want to avoid, right? Uh, but there, you can't say there's no benefit to meat, right? There's protein in meat, right? And so we want to deliver the benefits, the the you know the the um, the uh, the amino acids, etc., but without any of the downside of animal protein, right? yeah. and that's the game. So how do we figure out how to deliver all of the, the benefits? Uh, take, keep the, the, you know, make sure we don't have anything like, you know, obviously no cholesterol, no heme iron, you know, nothing that would stimulate insulin-like growth factor, yeah. all, all these other things, right? So keep all of that out. Um, and, and then the third piece is, you know, let's not screw around on price. Like if, if we really want to make this a global phenomenon and to help people transition as a generation away from animal protein toward plant protein and plant-based meat, let's figure out a way to drop the price of this below that of animal protein. And, you know, it's interesting. When, when Bill Gates invested, he invested in, I think, 2012. And how, how, uh, how, did, how did that happen? I mean, did you pick up the uh, phone and call Bill Gates? Or, or I, mean, I mean, did you get introduced? Or how, how did that yeah, happen? it was through an introduction. Um, I have a, a very fortunate to have a mentor um, named Ray Lane. Um, and so Ray uh, was, he's at Great Point, Great Point Ventures now. Uh, but at the time, he was at Kleiner. And he and someone named Amol Desponde uh, connected me to uh to, to, to Gates and uh, it was funny the first um, yeah. discussion with him I was anxious very anxious because he's a you know, formidable guy sure. <laughs> he's Bill Gates and uh, uh, he couldn't have been nicer like super nice and so and so you met with him for what an hour or so, yeah, and, yeah. and then and then was he like yeah I, I like I like you I like what you're doing I'm in it was I a mean, little longer than that the okay. diligence was like amazing yeah the diligence was sure. extremely disciplined uh and long process um he was very you know i did a ton of research on us um yeah. and then and then ultimately invested in, and but but his one of the things he said uh which i still follow is to go global as quick as you can and to drop the price below animal protein as quick mm. as you can mm. and i think both of those are spot on and um would, have you successfully gone global so we're in 64 different countries today, but yeah. is that is, is that global then? It, well, you know, it sounds I, pretty global to me. It, it, is, it has some some good features to it, but to me, it's it's not uh, where I need to be. Um, that's through export, and I really need to be producing in those countries in the ma- in the main parts of the world. Like I need to be set up with production in the EU, set up with production in Asia, and so we are in the first quarter of next year. We'll have production in in the Netherlands. Um, which I'm really excited about, and we're looking uh, pretty aggressively at Asia right now. Um, you, you got to because it's it doesn't make sense to ship all this stuff around the, uh, around the world, yeah. and, and I want to be in those markets under pricing animal protein in those markets to the extent that I can. What keeps you up at night? Right. Um, 
I can remember your answer back then if you want me to like it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It could be different. Yeah. Well, I, I think I remember you saying, you know what? I feel like, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. There's comp- competition coming for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's a lot of people coming after us. Um, and we fought so hard to get in the position we're in um, that uh, I don't want to cede that to anybody. Um, you know, I want this group, this very special group that's been working here for a long time to yeah. be that group that, 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 that leads this charge. And, and uh, so I feel very good about that. But the thing that really keeps me up is, you know, I feel this is a window of opportunity available to both you and me, you know, in terms of just being able to this message that we care so deeply about for people to be able to hear it. And I don't want to squander that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a moment in time, right? And how do we how do we make good on this moment in time where all the work we've done for so long um, can be realized? Yeah. And a misstep could hurt us. Um, you know, uh, um, just just not fully executing against the amazing opportunity ahead of us is something that I, I think about every day. How can we grow more quickly? How can we be more aggressive? How can we get this product to more people? Yeah. No, I look at the the work that my father's been doing, Colin Campbell, Dean Ornish, these guys, you know, John McDougal. They've been in the trenches since, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And for these guys, um, I mean, I can't imagine how exciting it must be that to see all everything come into fruition. And it didn't have to happen that way, you know what I mean? Like there's so many there's so many uh, I've always said this, the technology, <laughs> it's a slightly different concept, but technology has no regard for your career. It's going to happen when it happens. Look at solar in the 70s in Germany and things like that. Boomed, and then all of a sudden went away. Right? Yeah. And so we just got to make sure that we are careful stewards of all this. You've got a different approach right. than the Impossible Burger. Sure. Can you speak to that for a sec? Yeah, and I think there is a lot of confusion in the market yeah. on, um, you know, between us and, and Impossible. And you know, we're both working toward the same goal. Right? And so there's a lot of you know, shared respect there in, in terms of what they're trying to do and what we're trying to do. Um, but there are really important differences, and, I, and I, I've said that before publicly. That it's really a battle place of ideas. You know, it's it's which which idea is going to have the most legs, the longest over the most amount of time. And and um, for us, that decision not to to go GMOs, I think it really was uh, an important one. And um, you know, I, I feel really strongly about that. Um, you know, it, it's something that our consumers are, are very, I think, appreciative of. Um, I think the use of heme iron, regardless of my own thoughts about yeah. it, right? Um, is and Impossible be- has some heme iron in it, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and there's controversy around that. Sure. And, and I just wanted to stay clear of that. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to burden the brand uh, with, with that. And, uh, and they even mention heme iron in um, in the Game Changers. They do. Right? And so that's some of the headwinds that they're going to face yeah. as a result. And so I think either, and it'll be challenging for them because I think so much of their business is built around that concept, right? Yeah. And so. And they also have soy, right? Do you soy? So, so when you start a company without venture money, um, and you know this very well, you know, you're, you do friends and family and you run out of your own money and you, you, know, you start just having to you know, rely on revenue. And so, you know, if you didn't listen to the consumer before, you sure as hell listen to it then, yeah. right? Listen to the consumer then. And so I did. And I was in the aisles of Whole Foods myself, always trying to gain feedback from the consumer. And I loved this, like where it was just direct feedback. And the consumer did say, don't use soy. And they said, we have too much wheat in our diet already. Don't use GMOs. And so I had the both the benefit and the, and, and, and the burden of really having to hustle in the beginning to, right. to, to, to get this product to move. And so I learned a lot, and I kept those with me, you know, staying away from soy, staying away from wheat, you know, staying away from GMOs. You know, there's a lot of elegance, and you can raise a lot of money around, you know, a, kind of a new and novel GMO solution. But American families have to be comfortable eating this. Mm-hmm. And my own family has to be comfortable eating it. And I wouldn't have felt comfortable if I had GMOs. You mentioned Whole Foods. Yep. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, you got your launch yep. in, in some of the Whole Foods stores in, I think, Rocky Mountain region. Yep. Uh, um, so they were your first partnership as far as like uh, getting the Beyond Meat Burger to consumers. Yep. And that must have really informed yeah. Uh, your decision as far as... They went so deep with us for so long. So I started working with them in 2009 uh, in the Mid-Atlantic region. And um, a woman named Louise Liu in their prepared food section uh-huh. uh, who worked for someone named Peter Howell. And uh, I wouldn't be here today without Whole Foods. I mean, absolutely kept the doors open. I, mean, I wouldn't either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're a great partner. And yeah. I remember I'd come from this industry, the automotive industry, where you know, the way big OEMs treated suppliers was brutal. You know, just beat them down. Whole Foods never did that to me. You know, they were always supportive. They came to the university when we were doing a lot of development work and offered solutions. I was looking for something to 
um, avoid using wheat. And, and Louise says, hey, why don't you use amaranth? And so that was my first mm. product, had a lot of amaranth in it. And so they were just great. And, and then, you know, fast forward um, six years, and uh, Tom Rich says, you know what? You guys are ready. I'll put you in the meat case. Tom Rich is in, in, in the Rocky Mountain yeah. region. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really, regardless of Mackey's recent comments, <laughs> I'm still a huge fan of Whole yeah. Foods. And, yeah. yeah. Well, well, it, it, well, speaking, you know, so Mackey's comments, I, be, I believe, are, you know, uh, something like, it, it may be great for the environment and all that, but is it healthier than a beef burger? Yeah. I think you've kind of, you know, laid out some reasons why it is, yeah. right? So, yeah, I mean, um, we should unpack that for a second. I mean, it is yeah. interesting, um, you know, there's a, there's a, um, how to say this? So sometimes people will put the the processed um, label on our products, which I understand it is a process. It goes through a process, but if you're a mainstream American consumer, the meat that you're consuming is processed already, yeah. and that's the distinction I want to help people make. Is that you know depending on the species, the species will have you know been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, veterinary drugs, dioxin, you know uh, all these. Um, uh, things that, that, that ultimately, unfortunately, often make their way into the food supply, right? And so uh, that's a process to me. And then you go to our process, and we're pulling the protein directly from the plant, and it's being separated from fiber by changing the pH level in water. It's dried, and then it's sent through a system of heating, cooling, and pressure that if you've had pasta, you've had something that's gone through that system. Yeah. So we just have to educate the consumer, right? It's not an unprocessed food. It is a process, but is it better than the current process for making meat? And my argument would be it is. The other piece about transparency, you're welcome to come to our facilities at any time, knock on the door, we'll give you a tour. You don't need to call in advance. Wow. I'm very proud of our process, but I would ask you to do the same thing of a meat company. Right. See what happens. Well, I think if you look at the ingredient list in a, in a, in a, in a burger, I mean, it's, it's pretty exhaustive. Yeah. And imagine if I had to break that down yeah. by constituent part like we do. Have you ever, have you ever had a recall? I mean, no. it, can your products get you know, tainted, they so could, to speak. They could, but so could lettuce, you know, I mean, not, not, there's right. nothing, there's nothing inherent in them like, like animal protein. Right. Yeah. Um, what about shelf life? Shelf life any different than like a regular, you know, it's funny. It's a burger? little bit longer, uh, than a, than a regular beef burger. Um, but I, I, I really, uh, don't encourage people to, you know, let it slack out in the fridge for seven, eight days. You certainly can, right. but I, I like it right after it's been thought out. So every time I've seen you, you're always wearing, Pretty much, uh, kind of almost like what I wear, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sneakers, jeans, yeah, yeah. a T-shirt. Yeah. You you wear a cap. I don't wear yeah, a cap. Yeah. Is this your work outfit? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to wear a suit for a long time in my career, and and uh, I was really glad not to. Yeah, so you anyway. say, I mean, good riddance to suits. I, I don't really have one that fits anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like. Uh, yeah, I mean, w when you rang the bell, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you were wearing a Beyond Meat T-shirt yeah. and, and jeans. Yeah, I mean, it's so fun to think about all that. Like it's it's um, just bucking the norm. Well, I was thinking about even just you know, like we used to wear wigs, right, and you know stuff <laughs> like that. Like, I mean, who's to say the suit needs to stick around? <laughs> you know? Good point about the wigs. <laughs> Boy, when was that back in seventeen seventy six? I mean, maybe we should start wearing wigs. <laughs> I feel like I'm keeping it a little formal. Well, I want to. Um, and with, um, so you mentioned that your father kind of planted that seed. You did, yeah. Way back when. Um, <clears throat> I would love to meet your dad. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it this, and, uh, this, yeah. spring. Yeah, um, this spring. What in the world does he think hmm. of what you've done with that seed that he planted way back when? Well, I'd love to, for you and, and, and me and both of our dads, which we're so blessed to have in our lives, I mean, to, to, to get together. And I'd like to ask the same question to your dad. I mean, he's just incredible what, what you've done. And, and um, I think he's proud. Uh, I just, I'm, I was with him the other day and I wrote him a note and left it on his desk just thanking him for everything, you know, because uh, he works so hard and he's an academic, you know, uh, uh, still, st still teaching at McGill. And, you know, it just, my relationship with him means a lot. It with both of my parents means a lot. That, quote that you had about um new dawn for agriculture yeah that is actually a message to him that is i paraphrased that Thoreau wasn't talking about this but he talks about a new dawn and it's just our dawn is just our awakening hour mm. that's a quote from walden um and that's my middle name which my dad gave me wow. and so I, I i slipped that in there um he just means a lot to me yeah <laughs> i can tell yeah, yeah. i love it yeah. i love it yeah. Yeah. um well, this has been awesome. 
Thanks, Th- thank you so much. Yeah, I, lo- I look forward to playing together in the future yeah. in a multitude of ways. Yeah. Can I thank- do? You, can I do your quote? It's that simple. <laughs> it's that <laughs> simple. Uh, no, I can't. I'm just for your. I really yeah. appreciate being interviewed by you. You're one of my heroes. So thank oh, you. Oh yeah. man, thank you. And um, again, this this season two, it's the heart of a hero. Uh, people that are changing the game, you are doing it like lights out. Thanks, man. Spades. Um, thank you, my plant strong brother. Let's do it. Thanks, Peace. <laughs> Engine two. <laughs> Let's do it. Keep it plant strong. Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Ethan, my man, for your ongoing intensity, passion, and commitment for making this planet that much better. With your efforts, we can be the first generation to separate meat from animals. How cool would that be? Forks Over Knives and the Game Changers got the message to our living rooms, but Ethan, you're getting it into our kitchens. But as the old cliche goes, the proof is in the pudding. But with Beyond Meat, the proof is on the plate. The Plan Strong podcast team includes Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, Wade Clark, and Carrie Barrett. I want to thank my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Kryle Esselstyn for creating a legacy that will be carried on for generations and being willing to go against the current and trudge upstream to the causation. We are all better for it.